0: This is the Action Network Podcast.
1: Better than most. Better than most. Better than most!
2: Welcome in to the Action Network Podcast. Great to be talking to you the week of the U.S. Open. Yes, the U.S. Open heading to... The Country Club in Brookline, Massachusetts. First time the Country Club is hosting the U.S. Open since 1988. Here we go. Brendan Glasheen, your host today, joined by two of the very best that follow the PGA, that follow golf from a betting perspective. They are both co hosts of the Better Golf podcast. Spencer Aguiar, he's at TOF Sports on Twitter. Nick Bretwish, Sticks Picks. Joining us as well, this same duo was with us for the Masters, and they were fantastic. You can catch Spencer and Nick on our Links and Locks podcast from the Action Network. So good to have both of you. Just want to start with some general thoughts, and Spencer will go to you first. When you're looking to target a golfer, an outright winner, top 40, top 20, what are some factors for you when you look at the course? Weather looks like it's going to check out okay. Might be some uh, inclement weather on friday uh in boston but for the most part uh, when you look at all factors what are some things here that jump out to you and also approach you know putting uh how they do on the greens driving the ball what are some things that come to mind here as you prep for the u.s open
0: Yeah, so let's talk about the course a little bit. It measures in at 7,264 yards, par 70 venue that falls somewhere between sadistic and overly complicated on the scale. But the landscape of Brookline is masterfully pieced together, accentuating the course features and molding it into one diabolical examination. There are 70-foot trees that stymie second shots. If you miss to the wrong angle, strategically place bunkers and thick, rough and sinister green complexes that not only rank as some of the smallest you will see all year, but also the trickiest for a few reasons for starters, the two tiered layout can create nightmarish speed on your putts, potentially causing balls to funnel off these false fronts that slope from back to front. But even more importantly than that, it will be an extension of the iron play since the green and regulation percentage will be significantly reduced. I have always found it challenging to create a U.S. Open model that is vastly different from other users since some semblance of the same statistics always come into play. We know that the players who tend to hit the ball the longest and the straightest for the weeks are the ones that are at a massive advantage, but it doesn't mean that we still can't get unique in our approach. Um, To talk a little bit about the weather, you know, I'm not a person that overly looks into weather stats. I I think that things can change very frequently. When, you know, you look one second, there's 25 mile per hour winds, you look the next day, and then all of a sudden, like what was forecasted is no longer there. So uh, I like to just use my model, try to find an advantage there and, you know, go about it in that fashion.
2: Nick, you get the sense getting set here uh, for the US Open. Again, we'll get to best bets here momentarily. Just want to set the stage here for how Nick and Spencer go about handicapping and, and examining the landscape. It has been a while since the country club has hosted, like we talked about, but you get the sense placement over power will be the focus here with this course, because as Spencer laid out, if you, if, if you miss, uh, you might miss badly and hit Tom Brady's old house when he resided in new England. Um, but short game approach game. I think those two factors might be tested to the max here. Is that fair?
1: Yeah, certainly. I think for me, it's it's going to be short game. It's going to be ball striking and certainly people that are deadly accurate off the tee because we all know how high the rough is going to be at the U.S. Open. In addition to the fescue that is shortly, I think, knee high right outside the rough there
2: let's kind of dive in now to to best bets and and the great thing with, about Spencer and and Nick here, when they come on and join us, it's not just, you know, list of outright winners. They've got some different ways to go about the betting board just to kind of lay it out though. The, the, the favorites coming in, Rory McIlroy, who just won up in Canada plus a plus a thousand leading on the board, Justin Thomas, John Rahm, your common customers at the top of the board for a big major uh, in the golf circuit. So, Let's start with some top 40s. Spencer, we'll start with you. Who are some guys that jump out to you?
0: Yeah, so I I like Aaron Wise's top 40 at plus 100 on DraftKings. He's minus 140 on FanDuel. I didn't necessarily envision myself going into this weekend punching a plus 100 ticket on Wise to land inside the top 40, but my model had about 50 points of value on the wager at the price from a two-year perspective. The long-term total usually means more to me since it allows the -the under-the-radar value to be found when the current form isn't being overly baked into the price. But it just so happens that the Oregon product jumps even higher on my model when we we condense the data down to feature only the past 24 rounds. Wise ranks first in this entire field when we combine GIR percentage and long iron play. And the current form is starting to pop like we saw during portions of the 2021 season. I grabbed Harold Varner the third top 40 plus 115 FanDuel minus 135 DraftKings. Varner's lack of perceived win equity is overly hurting him in most of these markets. And while there are concerns because of the volatility and random implosions that take place for him, the American places 21st overall in my model over the past two years. And we see him jump to an impressive 13th when running this from an upside perspective over the last 24 rounds. And then I'm going to let Nick talk about this a little bit also, because I know he likes this play, but Brian Harmon, top 40 plus 165 FanDuel, consider this more of a number grab than anything else. Harmon has provided four top 38 finishes at the U.S. Open during his last four attempts, and a lot of those showings were coming at venues that where a lack of distance should have probably been a larger deterrent than he will experience at Brookline. The short game, reweighted proximity totals, and driving accuracy numbers are all inside the top forty in this field, and he's also played tough courses historically well, which we see by him ranking thirty-first overall.
2: Yeah, Nick, uh, taking a look at the Better Golf Pod Twitter, you 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 demonstrated urgency to get in on Harmon. Why?
1: Yeah, well, the price actually moved, so that plus 165 is now down to plus 145, so I know that when Spencer and I usually do our podcasts on Tuesday nights, we if we think something's going to move, we want to get it out early, so that's what, you know, following us on Twitter is some, some good value. I think last time I beat the market with Brian Harmon by 30 points, he shot like a 90 the round one at the uh, Charles Schwab, but then tore it up on Friday, but did miss a cut and did miss that bet, but yeah. Harmon is is probably one of my favorite plays. If it was still the plus 165 number, like Spencer said, it's 100% a number grab. My models got impressed at plus 130, so about 35 points of value there. But he's just a deadly accurate fairway finder off the tee. His long iron play is very good. And like Spencer said, he's not long off the tee by any means, but he does handle, his, um, handle himself very well on these long courses. He's got excellent U.S. Open history, and he is in really good form outside of the Charles Schwab round one there four of his last five appearances on the
2: tour. Uh, you take out the cut at Charles Schwab. He has finished top 40 yes, sir. Uh, in that stretch. That, that's actually, you know, and Spencer we will we'll go to you and then Nick can weigh in on this as well before we continue. Uh, Cause I know Nick has other top 40 plays, but I'm sure that this seems obvious, but this is important to highlight course history is important. How certain players fit the mold of the course, certainly important, but how much are you using recent history on th- this year in terms of how players are playing heading into this event, because now we have enough of a sample size where enough has happened. Y- you, I would think you'd want to be interested in golfers that are playing at a high level right now too.
0: Yeah. I run my model through a two year standpoint. So yeah. that's going to take 2021 stats and 2022 stats. Um, not to give away the entire you know piece of the pie that I put together to make it work with it. But uh, as of right now, it is going to be more of the 2022 stats than the 2021 stats that come into play. Uh, you know, and another thing that I do too is I do have a weighted course history metric that I run. I have a weighted current form metric that I run. Now, obviously, we haven't been on this specific course in a long time. But as far as the recent form goes, that's 30% of my weight this week. I do have 10% on U.S. Open venues over the last five years. And then 60% of my total came from a statistical analysis portion, which is just all the stats that I use to try to find an advantage.
2: Nick, how about you in terms of recent form? Because that would definitely relate to your Harmon-like, your Harmon-like pick.
0: For
1: the most part, for me, my model doesn't run anything longer than 120 days. So I kind of weight myself against Spencer's. I, I don't like to look at his model until mine is done, just because I don't <laughs> want to be influenced by the genius that Spencer is. But yeah, I, I'm more of a, a recent form guy as opposed to, you know, it, there's a lot of course history nuts out there and stuff like that. But a guy like Brooks Kepka, who hasn't really threatened the, I, I guess he was really good at the waste management open. But other than that, he's not the guy that we're used to seeing, but he always shows up at majors. I think he's a walking top five at the U.S open but for for me i haven't seen that elite level brooks kepka in a long time And the recent data within 120 days really doesn't support playing him either at especially at his shorter prices but to me it's, it's all about recent form
2: nick give us some of your other top 40 plays for the u.s open
1: all right. My favorite one, and it hurts my stomach just to to eat the juice on a top 40 market, but Daniel Berger top 40 is minus 115 on FanDuel. I believe that price is still live there. My price is down at minus 175. I believe the market even had a 195 there, I believe on DraftKings, but my model absolutely loves the course hit, fit here for Daniel Berger, who's usually just deadly accurate off the tee, excellent short game, excellent bunker play. If he does mess up those approach shots and his long iron ball striking is elite. So Daniel Berger is probably my favorite play overall in the DFS and betting market as a whole.
2: Okay. I think we're good. Top forties. you guys got through those. I'm pretty sure at this stage, very good. All right. So Spencer, you've got a unique angle um, before we get to some outright picks, but uh, you've got a head to head that you like as well.
0: Yes. Yeah, so before I get into that, um, you know, I always run my model to figure out the most mispriced golfers on the slate for me, it's more important that I pinpoint fade candidates that I want to take on as opposed to golfers that I want to back. You can always find a way to get exposure in the outright or placement markets. If force comes to worse on a golfer that might be priced against other studs. But in my opinion, the biggest advantage comes from finding overvalued golfers that have inflated price tags. So to provide a little more context there, Billy Horschel, K.H. Lee, and Abraham Answer are the top three golfers on my model when it comes to being inflated in price. There are options you can consider at the legal books like Luke List minus 110 over Lee. Horschel has a few noteworthy opponents himself, but I'm going to go down to the 13th most overpriced golfer on the slate in Davis Riley as my favorite play on the board and take him on with the man of the week for me, Aaron Wise at minus 105. That number opened at plus one Oh five and has already moved 10 cents. So I would probably act quickly since I think we could see this climb by another 10 or 20 points before Thursday, but while Riley looks great with his five consecutive top 13 finishes, there will always be issues with plays like this, since the recent results are being overly baked into the numbers. It doesn't mean he can't continue this trend since he has provided these results at both difficult and easy courses, but betting sports is always about finding the overcorrections to the market. I just found it interesting that Riley seemed to receive all the baked in totals here when Wise has been equally as good over the past few months. And that's before we even get to the long term stats that begin to fully back Wise as a golfer. That should be closer to minus 125 in this battle.
2: And Spencer, you're also in on a nationality prop.
0: I am. So. You know, this is going to be an interesting wager. Anytime that you get these random props, you can kind of find some advantages. So the one I will give is Siwoo Kim to be the top South Korean golfer at plus 330. This is a four man contest. There's no arguing that Sung Sungjae Im is the player to beat at minus 110, but my model is bearish on Ju Hung Kim, a golfer that ranks 91st overall for me. It's also much lower, as I mentioned on KH Lee, my 75th overall golfer. So while we are going to need some luck for Siwoo to get across the finish line over Sungjae, there's value to be had on the numbers. Since most markets have Siwoo as the third choice of the group. I had this price properly at plus 200. So I wouldn't be putting a large wager on it, but the hope is that my model is right about KH Lee and Ju Hung Kim missing the cut, providing us a potential head to head battle at an inflated price.
2: Okay, and that transitions well to Nick because Siwoo Kim, Nick Brettwish, is one of your outright picks.
1: Yeah, so Siwoo, I think it's it's more of a fanboy play for me, but like Spencer said, I I mean, I love that pick that he has pretty much getting, you know, three and a half to one on Siwoo heads up against Sanjay, assuming that the other two do miss a cut. But Siwoo Kim is 150 to one on DraftKings, and he is overall number 13 in my model in terms of, Overall course fit. I am a fanboy of Siwoo Kim. I think I bet him any chance I get when I see a plus number in the top 40 markets. I did punch the ticket there on FanDuel plus 150. But anytime that my model weights a very strong, you know, dependency on accuracy uh, off the tee and very strong around the green play. Siwoo Kim is always going to pop for me he's very good the only I guess the only downside for me I had him priced at plus one or uh, 110 so I do have 40 points of value on the outright ticket there I would like Siwoo a little bit more had there been more than two par fives on this venue that seems to be where Siwoo really does his damage but with the accuracy off the tee this is just a price grab for a player that I personally love all the time
2: in terms of your other uh, outright winners you've got Two names at the top of the board, the sixth favorite, Patrick Cantlay, and then going down just a little bit more, Colin Morikawa. Why don't you make a case why each of those guys are, are to your targeting?
1: So outside of Rory, my model pretty much thinks all these top you know, 12 golfers in the market are pretty much a toss up. So for Colin, I know he finished fourth last year. I believe it was a tie with Brooks. I think he's just due to win a U.S. Open soon. He really hasn't done a whole lot this year, but he is deadly, deadly, deadly accurate off the tee. One of the best long iron ball strikers in this field. He certainly has his putting issues, but that's really not going to be a case here with, I believe the smallest or second smallest greens on tour. He is one of the best par four scoring players in my model as well and Cantley, really just the exact same thing a little more uh, positive in the bogey avoidance than Colin Morikawa but excellent pour, par four scoring and again very accurate off the tee and great around the green so to me it was just getting more inflated prices for guys that my model think are equal to you know not necessarily a Scotty Scheffler but guys just right below them
2: and now on to sleeper sleeper is the fastest growing fantasy platform today with millions of players you probably already have a fantasy league on there i use it for mine it's a game changing product unlike anything else in the industry and now you could win on sleeper by playing their new over under game it's super simple first in any sport choose two or more players that you like and pick their over or under for example number of points in basketball or hits in baseball Then choose the amount of money you want to enter into the contest. If you pick correctly, you can win anywhere from two to over 25 times the money you put in. The main reason I'm excited about Over Under on Sleeper is that it's the only app where I can join my buddies contests and play together. It's not a built-in group chat where I can see and copy my friend's picks with a tap of a button. It's insanely fun to ride it out together. So stop what you're doing. And download Sleeper now to play their new over-under game. Have fun with your friends and make some money. On your mobile phone, join our listener group on Sleeper at sleeper.com slash action and Sleeper will automatically match your first deposit up to $100. Again, go to sleeper.com slash action and you'll get a $100 match on your first deposit. Terms and conditions apply. See Sleeper's terms of use for details. Okay, back to the show. Spencer, why don't you, you know, kind of take us home here in terms of targeting outright winners, you, you kind of hit on this briefly, but what exactly is your general strategy or what would you address to folks that are getting involved in a major? If they're just someone who's casually getting involved in a major, wants to bet on it, general strategy to picking an outright?
0: Yeah, so I think there's a general misconception about outrights and major championships only heighten that point I'm about to make. I will give a play or two to consider since I know these boards will fluctuate between now and Thursday, but more so than touting a wager that has moved in value, I would like to talk a little bit about the advantage uh, that you can get in the market in general. So I always say that by the time the board reopens on the Monday before the tournament, and this would be for major championships, any of the value is gone since most books will shade their whole percentage. That's an answer for another show when we have more time, but it's essential to be patient and let the books start to favor you again. It will always be better if you can lock up most of your outright card weeks or even months before these majors take place. But assuming that either isn't something you want to do or can't do for whatever reason, my biggest piece of advice for everyone listening is to have patience during these weeks. There is such a rush for most to lock up their cards after the board retakes form on Monday that users miss the battle from shops inflating their outright prices in certain areas to secure the last few dollars. I do have a ticket on Max Homa that I like at 66 to one. There is a cat lay outright that I am on at 30 to one. Uh, I don't know how much good that does anyone listening now since the numbers have changed on those two. Uh, I still think there's value to be had if you wait or shop around, but the two i I'll give on this show, which are two plays that I have mentioned multiple times will be, I will start with Harold Varner at a hundred to one. He gets a bad rap because of his inability to close out events on tour. Now, I understand asking him to do it in a major seems far-fetched, but my model has Varner as a 66-to-1 golfer that is being priced at 100-to-1. And then the second choice is Aaron Wise. I have each of them as top 13 targets in this field when I run the event for upside over a shorter-term sample size than I typically use. And while it's hard to imagine either winning a major at this point of their career, uh, we've seen them recently in fields that are not much different than this at sub-50-to-1. Very quickly, I've used this example Example multiple times this week, but why is Varner aren't that much different than Mito Pereira, who was one tee shot away on 18 from capturing the PGA championship. And I know the natural answer to that would be that he didn't win, but we can look at a golfer like Gary Woodland at the 2019 US Open or Keegan Bradley at the PGA championship in 2011 And point to similar golfers where it would have seemed outlandish for them to win until it happened. You know, those victories changed the trajectory towards their careers. And I don't think it's inconceivable that we could see Wiser Varner accomplish a similar outcome at a very generous price of 100 to 1.
2: Excellent. Love it. Both co-hosts from the Better Golf podcast. You can catch Spencer and Nick on our Links and Locks podcast from the Action Network. Gents, anything else you got to get off your chest here before we go? This is great stuff.
0: Thank you guys again for having us on. You can find me on Twitter at Tia Sports. You can locate the two of us together at Better Golf Pod. And I just really hope that everyone listening will tune into our show. Nick and I always try to attack the board in a unique and mathematical fashion. And I think it provides an entertaining podcast where we try to help everyone get more tickets to the window.
1: You got anything, Nick? No, thanks for having us, and good luck, everybody. And one last pick, I believe, would be Hideki Matsuyama, forty to one on FanDuel. I think he's my ex, my actual pick to click this week, and my winner if I had a one and done pool is going to be Hideki Matsuyama, as long as he does not paint his uh, three wood again. <laughs> okay,
2: excellent, great work uh, from both of you guys, Spencer and Nick, uh, helping us out here on the Action Network podcast for other golf U.S. Open action network content look forward to the links and locks podcast from the action network for spencer agyar nick brettwish brendan glass thanks for tuning in best of luck everybody and enjoy the golf we'll talk to you again very soon